0: uh membership it's 10 bucks a month you get a monthly mastermind exclusively it's a zoom call every month with other youtube members uh, you also get weekly videos exclusive to the youtube members on how to use social media to improve your opportunities in life sciences so check that out really means a lot to me and thank you so much again for listening and enjoy the show, Guru Nation. Thank you so much for watching. Make sure you like, subscribe, comment, share. Really means a lot to me. Um, this might go on the podcast. So, what I this is going to be about contract research organizations and their fourth quarter results. So, I've analyzed Ikevia. I've actually done the Q and A session even for the Ikevia uh, fourth quarter of twenty twenty one public earnings call which is open to the public. By the way, if you work in this industry, you should check when Ikevia, PPD, Sineos, when all these companies have their earnings call because it gives you, I think it gives you an advantage over your peers. It, it at least shows you where the industry is headed, right? And we're going to do our best. I'm going to do my best to read between the lines uh, and kind of read between the lines and give you like my opinion on where the industry is headed, a couple of interesting things: uh, emerging biopharma, um, Asia Pacific region growing, technology playing a role um, on a, a, across the board. And so, to summarize it, basically, these companies just crushed it, and a lot has to do with COVID, uh, but a lot also has to do with emerging biopharma and the low interest rates. So we're going to get into a little bit of that. So I'm going to share my screen. So you guys can read along with me. And this one, I'm going straight off of the Clinical Trials Guru. Look at that, guys. The clinicaltrialsguru.com. If you're not subscribed, go get you some, okay? <laughs> it's, uh, so contract research organizations show good fourth quarter results. Uh, according to Zach's Ikevia, so we're going to get into the Ikevia. We're actually going to look into their Q&A that they had. I'm going to I think it's a little bit of some of the stuff they said was interesting. So total revenues, 3.64 billion, outpaced consensus. If you actually look at the fourth quarter results, this is from Ikevia. So fourth quarter of 2021. All right, it's 3.6 billion in the fourth quarter compared to 3.2 billion in quarter four of 2020. The adjusted earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization is 828 in quarter four of 2021 compared to 735. I did the math. The profit margin that they ran this last quarter, Ikevia, is 22%. And that's not bad for a company that has gone through mergers and acquisitions. And we're going to get into where they deploy some of the capital. So they're, you know, there's, even though they're a CRO, they, they like to think of themselves as a tech company, tech company, and all these CROs actually, you know, the smart ones. I mean, that's where they make their money. So they can't grow it at a high, high profit margin. Like my research site, for example, I'm like at a 80%, almost an 80% profit margin, maybe 70% profit margin. I'm definitely not a tech company. I'm a site, but these CROs, 22% profit margins, not bad, for a tech company, you know, oftentimes these tech companies are single digit um, profit margin because they're constantly reinvesting. So, look, the numbers were great for not just for Ikevia, but for Synios and for PPD and for some of the other ones. Uh, Ikevia, during the reported quarter, Ikevia repurchased some shares worth $174 million. They do that when there's when they have a lot of cash on hands. Uh, Synios. Reported financial results for the th- uh, three and 12 months ended December 31st. 2021 revenue of $1.3 billion, increased 20.5% on a reported basis and 20.8%. Uh, so this is the revenue. Sydney uh, O's did $1.3 billion in revenue in that quarter, where Ikevia did 3.3. So 3.6. So Ikevia's well ahead of anyone else, even though they're catching up quickly. They're starting to become commoditized. And look, I really want to get through these numbers quickly so we can get through the actual QA on especially on IKEVIA side. I want to get into that. If we have time, we'll do Senios. I encourage you again, Senios, PPDI, Covance, Ikevia, uh, any company that any CRO that's publicly traded, Listen to their earnings call if you're in research. So the company's clinical solutions, this is Sineos. This is Sineos. I bet you Sineos, let's see if we get to their uh, profit margin. So Ikevia's, I bet you where I'm going with this is I bet you Sineos is investing more into tech than Ikevia uh, and they're running at a lower profit margin, right? Ikevia has enough money to buy back shares. So let's see, with uh, Cineos, the company's clinical solutions revenue increased 20.7% on a reported basis and 21%. Acquisitions contributed approximately 1,000 basis points to clinical solutions reported revenue growth. Commercial solutions revenue increased 19.8% on a reported basis. Uh, This gets into some good accounting practices, net income. Let's see here. Adjusted net income for the three months ended December 31st increased 33.4%, resulting in an adjusted diluted earnings per share of 1.48. Uh, so 1.48 compared to Ikevia's earnings per share 2.55. So Ikevia is definitely earning more per share. But again, I think Sineos is investing heavily um, at a much faster rate. So Ikevia has got to watch out for Cineos, uh, even though. They're like double, maybe triple the size, at least double the size right now based on market cap. The company's guidance takes into account a number of factors, including as ex- ex- existing backlog, current sales pipeline, trends and cancellations. Um, it includes expansion of the CNEOS operations network, process op- optimization, automation initiatives. Within clinical solutions, the COVID pandemic has accelerated the adoption of virtual engagement with sites and patients, creating increased demand for decentralized solutions capabilities. As a result, CNEOS has continued to experience reduced travel and other reimbursable out-of-pocket expenses related to lower physical monitoring visits for clinical solutions relative to pre-pandemic levels. So this is their whole decentralized clinical trials push. It has also experienced a reduction of costs associated with investigational medical uh, medicinal products, which has also resulted in lower reimbursable out-of-pocket expenses. Now it's interesting to note here. I want to say it's interesting to note both of these companies, Kyvia PPD, and Cignios, they reported before the Ukraine crisis, the Russia-Ukraine crisis. So it would be interesting to see the next earnings call what they project growth to be like, because that's causing a lot of issues in supply chains. And then if China gets involved somehow, I mean, Chris and I kind of discussed this on the podcast earlier, you know, it could slow down a lot of things if there's a a supply chain issues going on, especially for clinical development. So I just wanted to share that with you. Now, we'll move away from the boring stuff and get into what I think is interesting, right? These are the prepared remarks from Ikevia. So this is basically uh, what I just discussed. Basically, this is the numbers. This is the numbers Ikevia was sharing. Revenue growth crushed it. EBITDA crushed its 12% increase, 10% increase in revenue from compared to the same quarter last year. Um, More profit, net income net income at $318 a share compared to 119 a share it almost doubled. is that double that's more than double more than doubled uh from quarter 4 2020 to quarter 4 2021 that's not really surprising with covid uh 2020 there was still a lot of uncertainty around covid 2021 a lot of new studies and they actually get into that in the Q&A so here in their Q&A uh let's see here they say good morning i want this is one of the analysts from nephron research analysts. thank you and good morning i wanted to talk a little bit more about covid and i appreciate all the color you gave ron ron is the cfo everybody go connect with ron brule man i don't know him but maybe i'll go connect with him too and also jack meehan while you're at it and tell him you heard about them on Dan's fair, random musings from the Clinical Trails Bureau. So I appreciate all the color you gave, Ron. So at the analyst day, you talked about $1 billion of COVID tapering this year. There was $1.8 billion in 2021. Can you talk about the balance of COVID work and just how you feel about the duration of COVID? Over the next few years, do you think there's some aspect that might prove stickier or some ongoing work in research and development? Any color would be great. What does the CFO say? Look, we do have a balance of COVID work. That's going to continue to burn off over the next two years. I think it will be a gradual decline during the course of 2022, but it's going to continue into 2023. So COVID work, that was $1.8 billion of revenue in 2021. It's going to gradually decline into twenty by 2023. It's hard to foresee how much additional COVID work there might be. We've all been surprised by the ups and downs of the pandemic and so forth. So it's certainly possible there could be more. We're facing our projections. We're basing our projections on what we currently have in the backlog. And we'll see where it goes from there and see what other work might come along. Now, the CEO, Ari, who's got this strong French accent. So look, you're better off me telling you this than Ari. No offense, Ari. I don't know Ari. Everybody go connect with him as well. But I just listened to the QA for about half an hour. So this is, I prefer this transcript much better. Uh, Ari says, yeah, I mean, this is exactly right. All we can do is look at the situation today. If anything, we've learned about this pandemic is we can't predict the evolution. So we do have in our RFP pipeline, request for proposal especially on the r&d side a request for proposals to assist in new therapies to address covid there are even some large top 10 pharmas we are talking to about potential therapeutics so i do anticipate there will be some residual amount of covid work going on but unless things change dramatically based on the picture today it's going to gradually taper down that's what we have been here that's what we have here through 23 and maybe 2024 unless something else happens, which no one here hopes for. But that's what we have. It's largely based on burning off the world, both commercial and clinical. Now, Jack, the analyst says, great. And just as a follow up, it would be great to get your latest thinking on labor and maybe wage inflation. What is, has your view changed at all related to when you initially gave guidance around just wage inflation and the impact that might have on the forecast for 2022? So this is a this is an important question for everybody because we talk about like labor shortage. And they say the CEO of Ikevia says they are not exempt from mass, mass resignation, where they call it the great resignation and labor shortage. So, the single most important operational challenge we have is people management. I mean, look, it's wonderful to be the leader in this space and to have such a $25 billion backlog to execute. And the result of that is we need a lot of people. Even though technology is gradually taking over more and more of the work that we deliver, we still need a lot of people. That right there, guys, let that tell you something, okay? Technology is gradually taking over, but we still need people. And at 80,000 people, we know we have to recruit many thousands more this coming year. We have attrition which is an issue for everybody. The Great Resignation is affecting us as well post-pandemic. We are, we've become, and that's the price of success, I might say we have become an academy company. A lot of people recruit talent from Ikevia. And that is what they're known for, actually, guys, just like me to you. Ikevia has always been known as a place. It's always had a reputation. You go there. If you're a brand new CRA, maybe you've been a CRC, Ikevia will take you and train you to be a CRA. And yeah, they're going to lose you to competitor, but that's their business model. But look, we're adjusting to this. We're creating all kinds of flexible work arrangements, compensation arrangements, loyalty building programs, training programs, back to work, the future of work which is an initiative that we have to redefine roles and what's expected from our employees. So we've been very innovative in terms of our workspace, really working on a lot of multiple fronts with respect to the numbers and how it affects our numbers. Obviously, it's challenging when you have to raise compensation costs and generally people management costs. However, I would point to you that our margins are adjusted EBITDA, which is earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and ap- appreciation market margins had continued to grow. I mean, in fact, they've been growing more than they are expected to grow more than ever before. And the reason for that is we're finally getting the leverage on the massive restructuring and cost improvement that we launched immediately post-mergers, when they merged with Quest, Quest Labs. And now we're getting the benefit of that leverage, and that's offsetting more than offsetting the wage inflation headwinds. Again, I'd point to the growth of our profit numbers relative to the growth of our ro- Revenue numbers, and you see that we have significantly, materially raised, grow our profit higher than our revenue growth, which implies significant margin growth. And yeah, I did the math; it's 22% in the fourth quarter profit margins. So the CFO says, "Yeah, we have ability in a lot of instances to raise prices, to adjust prices. We have some provisions for improvement in our master service agreements. We also have some short cycle business, so we never have the ability to adjust prices. We're doing so." Wherever we have the ability to adjust prices, we're doing so. So the next good question that came, here's a, here's a really good one from Eric Coldwell. Everybody go connect with Eric. Let him know, hey, I heard about you from Dan Sfera on Guru Nation. Matter of fact, you should get on his podcast, Eric. So Eric says, thank you. Good morning. So probably the number one topic here recently has been the biotech funding environment and any potential knock-on impacts to the group. Your competitor, I think they're talking about Cineos, uh, who also reported at the same time this morning, is very exposed to pre-commercial biotech. Said their RFP volume, request for proposal volumes, were down 10% in the fourth quarter, down 25% in January. But that they haven't seen any cancellations or delays so far. No business impact. So I'm curious if you could help us by, one, talking about your mix of pre-commercial biotech as a percent of R&D backlog or bookings. And two, talk about what you're seeing in real time in terms of business demand bookings, other related activity in that pre-commercial biotech space. So this pre-commercial biotech space, this is look, I'm telling you guys, small is the new big as long as rates are interest rates are low. Money gets funneled into these biotechs because investors are hungry for some kind of return on their growth. They're willing to take more of a risk for a higher reward. And these early stage biotechs are easy money for a lot of these companies. But look, here's what the CEO says. We track these numbers pretty tightly. We are not seeing in the actual RFP pipeline any changes versus what has been. As you know, a very strong demand environment for early biotech uh eBP is early biopharma segments. That's what EBP means. Early stage biopharma. In terms of so the small is the new big like I always say in terms of percent of our bookings, what do uh we don't have the backlog but we have the bookings. I have a few numbers for here. I think in terms of actual bookings, large pharma still represents the majority, a little bit over half. And then the another guy from the, uh, some vp from Ikevia says that's correct and then maybe mid size is about somewhere around 10% of our bookings yes and so the rest i'd say 35% is early phase early stage biopharma so it's about 50% large pharma this is this is IKevia's core client 50% large pharma uh 10% mid stage and 35% of the early, early stage biopharma. So it's really high, more than double digits. I don't know if we give you the numbers, but the pipeline is very, very strong. I mean, our pipeline is very core to our backlog as we speak. And as I said before, COVID is basically gone. It's a very, very tiny percentage of the total pipeline. A lot of it is oncology, which is more than 20%. Uh, the CSMS, I don't know what that is. Across therapy categories, we're seeing very good uh earnings before interest taxes growth in the pipeline. I'm talking now, okay, not the book, I'm talking about the pipeline. So this is business, business development. To answer your question, what do we see going forward? Which would be normally a line of indicator of the funding, we see that early stage biopharma in the pipeline represents a majority of our pipeline right now. So we don't see any significant changes. For example, January was lower. January was lower than uh, early stage biopharma funding, but I wouldn't extrapolate from one month or from one quarter. As you know, generally the levels of early stage biopharma funding are very, very high. We, are, we must be in the top three years ever in terms of funding. I definitely think so too as somebody who follows biotech sector closely. So maybe this year will be a little lower than last year. Again, these were record years. We're talking about orders of magnitude greater in terms of multiples of funding. If you just go back three, four, five, six years. So yes, I mean, a step down in funding doesn't concern us as we continue to see very, very good, both bookings and even higher number in the pipeline. So they say there might be a slowdown in the early stage biopharma, but they have so many in their pipeline, it doesn't even matter really. Uh, so that's something to pay attention to, guys. If interest rates go up, early stage biopharma funding drops, and that might be that might be the beginning of a sl- of a slowdown. So pay attention to these earnings call. We got another an- oh, the same analyst. Uh, can you remind everyone what your definition of early stage biopharma is emerging biopharma? What's your technical definition? We look at how much spend in terms of clinical development. So below a certain number, he says, yeah, that's correct. Uh, That encompasses what you might call small pharma as well as commercialized products. He actually gives a number here. But broadly speaking, a company that spends less than $100 million in a given year in its R&D budget for us is an early stage biopharma. That's just one definition. Less than $100 million a year spending in R&D is considered a small company. Guys, let me say that again. A company that spends less than $100 million a year in R&D, Ikevia considers a small company. I'm going to pause for effect. This industry is huge. Um, if The analyst's last question. If you had to guess just off the cuff, would 10% of your backlog be pre-commercial biotech or 20 The CEO says, you know, I don't know if I give you these numbers, but you know, why don't we do this? Why don't we give us follow-up questions? We'll try to give a little more clarity or range of what's in the backlog. I'll ask the finance team here. And then the CFO says, it's helpful to give you a partial answer and say the last two years, large pharma orders had been slightly over 50% of our booking. So that gives you at least a place to start what you're looking at. Uh, And then he says, well, you had a great quarter. Keep it up. Good look. And let's see, there was a few more. uh, Let me see if there are any more good questions. Uh, RFPs and wage inflations. Uh, Somebody wanted to go back to wage inflation and discuss EBITDA margins. Uh, You talked about digitization and maybe some price increases. Can you give more color on how you're planning to drive margin expansion? As I said before, this is the CEO. Just to make myself clear, the main driver of our margin expansion is simply leveraging the benefit of all the cost actions that we took post merger. We'll go back and look at the number. We've had significant restructuring. So remember, they're in IT, they're in the consolidation of infrastructures, merging of uh, IT systems. Now, in addition to this, there's margin expansion. They also, Ikevia helps companies with sales too. So there's a lot of Benefits and merging a CRO with a lab allows price control for Ikevia. I mean, consolidating all these offerings, tech, lab. Now it's going to be soon decentralized trials that helps increase margin. So they actually talked about um, Asia Pacific. Okay, within China, there's a lot of noise. Wuxi Biologics got placed in the unverified list. Uh, because they're a Chinese-owned company. So they, uh, they got placed on the unverified list. You're a CRO, so different markets. But can you talk on your view of China in the near term? We've got a couple hundred million dollars business in China. It's been growing double digits over the last few years. We have a fully-owned CRO subsidiary in addition to Ikevia. We have a core Ikevia business. We've got a fully-owned CRO subsidiary. Uh, it's a unique setup. I don't need to be able to pull, but China is a complex market. There are a lot of factors. We're continuing to invest as required. We have a good market position, and it's a small piece of our total business. Um, Then they talk about losing Roche, and they said we don't discuss individual companies. Companies switch CROs all the time. Double-digit growth was a marker that they tried to achieve as far as earnings. They expect their R&D revenue growth this year in the upper teens. If you ignore COVID, which is still a very impressive number, what do you think that business can do long-term? Double-digit growth, something they're going to strive to achieve. If you remember at the beginning of the merger, the growth was low in the single digits. So they said because of the merger, they're able to grow their earnings, um, but they're actually growing their top lines too. Uh, So that's going to be interesting to follow. You uh, let's see. Anything else? Anything else? They had something about tech here. It's going to be interesting to follow these companies to see what decentralized trials like. Um, if when you exclude COVID, what's the growth? One other question came from Patrick Donnelly from Citigroup. Everybody, go connect with him as well. Um, they want to talk more about mergers and acquisitions. Are you seeing more activity in the pipeline given the volatility of the public markets? Well, back in February, they ain't seen nothing yet. That's a good question. We're always looking. Um, this was an interesting, this was an interesting answer here. As you know, the multiple valuations in the space where we operate in healthcare technology information, the multiples are very high. And the reason for that is private equity essentially is trading those assets from one private equity firm to another, and they keep bumping up the valuation. So these are all the tech platforms. And we look at these assets, but we're going to continue to be very reasonable and conservative. No major changes versus what you have seen before. We will be opportunistic. Uh, We have a team. So as a company, or even if you go back to legacy companies, we believe with leverage ratios that were even... Okay, rates continue to be at historic lows. So we will do what's right for the business. We will allocate capital to first internal investments, secondly to acquisitions, then third to share repurchase. And they just did a share repurchase. And you will see us go back and forth depending on opportunities. But again, we try to continue to reduce debt as is prudent within the limits of what makes sense from a management standpoint. It doesn't make sense to eliminate debt at current rates. We would view that as negligence on our part. So that, I guess, the best answer I could give you. You talked a little bit about R&D strength going on multiple years, double-digit growth. I guess when you think about funding, it seems like you were never underwriting the type of record strength we saw last year in order to hit those numbers. If we did see some prolonged softness in the funding environment, that's what I'm talking about with the investments, would... Is It's still more than sufficient to support that growth outlook. So CEO says, I cannot cannot overemphasize that we are not seeing that translate into our sales pipeline. I mean, again, I gave you numbers earlier in biotech. I'm not giving you numbers here because I don't know if I should give them to you or not. But the vast majority, a big majority of the RFP dollar pipeline and numbers volume is actually early-stage biopharma. So we are not seeing any impact from potential slowdowns of the funding in our pipeline. And the pipeline is at record high levels. So again, it won't affect us one bit. And by the way, I'm not seeing that happening. We talk to early-stage biopharma all the time. And I can vouch for that because I've been talking to early-stage biopharma and I am I have a small CRO. We do mainly investigator-initiated trials, but they're even coming to us. So we're not seeing a slowdown yet in bio phar- in early stage biopharma. So he's basically predicting another record year, even without COVID because of the early stage biopharma. And it's, it'll be interesting to see how that continues. Um, it'll be interesting to see how decentralized trials plays a role in increasing margins, profit margins, but also as you heard him say, tech is replacing some of the positions. But they're basically just being added to other places like human labor. So they're still they're still short. They said they have eighty thousand people and they need to hire a couple thousands more this year, so to keep up with the growth. And um, it'll be interesting to follow. But like I said, guys, go connect with all those people. Thank you so much for watching. Make sure you listen to some of these earnings calls from the big CROs. They all do it every quarter. Just. Get educated a little bit. See where the industry's headed. Give yourself an advantage. And then take it one step further. Go network with these people. Matter of fact, I'm about to go connect with these guys on LinkedIn too. Like, subscribe, comment, share. Thank you so much for watching and listening. Catch you all later. Bye-bye.